0: All right, welcome everybody to episode number 10 of the Flannel Panel Conjugate Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Surratt. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about something that I'm currently dealing with as a professional, which is establishing trust as a strength and conditioning coaches. Oops as a strength and conditioning coach, excuse me, um, establishing trust as a coach with your sport coaches and your athletes. So again, establishing trust as a strength and conditioning coach with your sport coaches and your athletes, because that's something that I think a lot of us as strength and conditioning coaches have to deal with, especially at the collegiate level. Um, where you have you know multiple personalities, multiple perspectives, multiple concerns and thoughts coming into play all at the same time about the same topic. So um, we're going to start off by talking about how to establish and continually build and maintain—I guess—is the word I'm looking for—maintain trust with your sport coaches. Because again, this is something that I'm dealing with right now. Um, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about it and put you know, put this particular coach on blast, but what's going on is that I have certain ideas about how things should be run in the weight room, and so does he, and so we are having to basically come to terms with each other about how each one of these, or how each one of us plays into this, into this equation, and, you know, if you think about it, like, it should just be a simple argument, or it should be a simple situation, like, I'm the strength conditioning coach, he's a sport coach. So let me do my job and handle the strength and conditioning. Let me handle the physical preparation of these particular athletes and let him handle the tactical side of it, the skill or the, uh, the sport-specific skill aspect of it. You know. And again, I'm not going to put this particular coach on blast and say who it is or say what sport. I'm going to try, try not to say what sport he coaches because it really doesn't matter because the, the issues that we are dealing with right now can extend across all sports. It doesn't have to be one particular sport. So um, I made a list here of how to deal with trust issues with coaches and I guess we'll just start off at the top and we'll just work our way down and we'll, go, we'll figure things out as we go and I'll get tangential and all that kind of stuff like I always do. So the first thing I have is be transparent. So I think a lot of strength and conditioning coaches take a lot of pride in what they do and that absolutely makes sense. Um, you know, I mean, this is our job, this is our livelihood. This is not just something that we do for fun, even though it is fun. Like, don't get me wrong, I love what I do, I enjoy it very, very much, and I have a great time doing it. However, it is my job and it is my livelihood, and it's how I put food on my table and pay my rent. Um, so I think a lot of us as strength conditioning coaches, we kind of get to the point where we're a little opaque. Um, And we're a little closed off as far as what we do. You know, we take a lot of pride in it and we think that we should just be allowed to do what we want to do without any sort of input or, um, I guess, conflict, confounding issues or confounding factors from sport coaches. And, you know, on one hand, that makes sense. Um, Again, we are the experts. You know, we are hired on to do a particular job just as a sport coach is hired on to coach a specific sport we're hired on to do the strength and conditioning. But what I'm getting at with all of this is that we need to be transparent. Okay, so it's really easy to under-communicate. And that's something that I'm guilty of because I just feel very comfortable staying in my own bubble and taking care of the things that I know how to take care of. You know, like, why do I need to step outside of that bubble and why do I need to overshare what I'm doing with these coaches when we're continuing to see results with their athletes? But... That's not how it goes. I mean, in a perfect world, yes, a sport coach would just trust you and say, you know what? You have carte blanche to do what you want to do. You're the expert. You take care of the kids the way that you feel they need to be taken care of, and we'll take care of the tactical side of it. However, again, in the real world, that's not how it ever happens. So it's important to be as transparent as possible. You know, say, hey, coach, this is what we're doing. This is the program that I run. This is the system that I run. This is how we run. This is how we train this is how we do the things that are important to the physical development, the physical performance of your athletes, you know, and this is the why, because I think it's really important that coaches understand not just the what, because it's really easy to look at like a sheet, you know, whether it's a training sheet or an Excel spreadsheet or whatever it is, it's really easy just to look at, to look at a training sheet or a program and say, well, this is the what, but explain to me the why, you know, coaches want to know why things are happening and, you know, if you, as a strength and conditioning coach, can't explain it, then why are you doing it? You know, so you should be able to explain to a coach, this is why we're doing certain things. This is why I run my programming the way that I do. This is, what, this is why I believe in what I believe in. So, again, be transparent. Be overly transparent. It's a pain in the ass. Like, it's a huge pain in the ass to have to explain yourself to a sport coach who might not feel the need to explain his or, himself, his or herself to you. You know, and that's and that's where this thing goes goes kind of wonky here is that, you know, we as strength and conditioning coaches, we're seen as support staff and that's definitely our role. You know, we're here to help and we're here to support the development and the performance of the the sports teams to which we're attached. Whereas like sport coaches are obviously those individuals who are at the helm. Excuse me, Um, you know, so they're at the helm of these programs. And they're the ones responsible for the success and the failure. And what I'm getting at here is that sport coaches don't have to come to us as strength conditioning coaches and say, hey, this is why I'm running this particular scheme. This is why I'm running this offense or this defense or this is why I made this recruiting choice or this is why I'm playing this, this certain athlete and benching this athlete. Like We, as strength conditioning coaches, we don't have to know that information. One because it's not pertinent to our performance. I mean, I mean, I okay. I, I take that back. It can be relevant. It can be pertinent because, like, knowing who is benching or who's riding the bench and who's playing can determine how an individual is trained. You know, if you have somebody who's playing a whole lot of minutes, you know, let's let's, let's take basketball. All right, basketball is a good one. Um, if you have an if you have an athlete who's playing a lot of minutes on the basketball court, you might train him or her just a little bit differently than you might train somebody who spends most of his or her time on the bench, you know. And whether that's in terms of exercise selection, volume prescription, intensity prescription, you know, anything like that, um, it is it's relevant to know. But it's again, it's coming back to you know we don't have a hand in we don't we don't have a stake in making those decisions so we don't have to know those things whereas and I think that we as strength and conditioning coaches I think we accept that you know like we understand our purview and we understand the limitations of our profession and we stay in our lane pretty well whereas sport coaches tend to like to drift outside of their lane a little bit more than I think is appropriate you know and so whereas they don't need to be transparent with us and explain to us why they're making the choices they make we have to be transparent with them because it is their team as frustrating as that is to have to justify what you do to somebody who isn't technically your boss. Now, if you're a strength and conditioning coach for like a basketball team or for a football team, or if you are a dedicated strength and conditioning coach for one particular sport, um, you know, then yes, you have to be, you have to be transparent with that coach because that's your boss. Now, my situation is that I am associated with a handful of teams, but I am attached to none, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not I'm not 100% attached to any one of these teams, meaning that I'm, yes, I'm their strength and conditioning coach, but I'm not on their their coaching staff. I'm not part of their coaching roster. So I don't feel the need, I guess, to be as transparent with them as I probably should be. So again, you have to be transparent. And it's a pain in the ass, man. It really is. It really sucks to have to like, explain yourself to somebody who doesn't know what you're talking about but has the power to make your life incredibly frustrating and difficult. If a, stre- if a sport coach doesn't like what's happening in the weight room, he or she can put up a lot of stink and get things changed. And, I mean, it's not uncommon to have strength coaches lose jobs because sport coaches aren't happy with what's going on in the weight room or what tends to happen more often than not. Is that sport coaches are frustrated with the performance of their athletes on the field or on the court or in the pool or whatever whatever field of play you have. Sport coaches are unhappy with their with their athletes' performance. And it's really easy to deflect and divert and to shift that frustration onto somebody else. And we, we're all guilty of this, right? You know, individually, you know, I'm not even talking about professionally, personally, we're all very guilty of this, right? It's very difficult to look at ourselves and say, what can I do better? Like, what did I do wrong and what can I improve upon, right? And when it comes to our professional world, our professional lives, I think a lot of us take a lot of pride in what we do. And so as a sport coach, it's really easy to say, well, you know, I believe in the system that we're running, whether it's this particular offense or defense or it's this scheme or it's this, you know, personnel choice, whatever it is, you know, so I believe in that. So I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to blame that. I'm going to blame the strength conditioning program, or I'm going to blame the athletic training program, or I'm going to blame our nutrition program, you know, or I'm going to blame something else. Like I'm going to find something or someone to blame that isn't myself. So I'm getting tangential here and I'm going to try to come back on track. Um, But yeah, just be transparent. Like that's how you, that's step one in building trust. Because I think that a lot of sport coaches have this idea of what strength and conditioning is or what strength and conditioning coaches are. And I think it's really important that we, as a profession and as a field, work to realign perspectives and realign expectations of what a strength and conditioning coach is. is. Like, we're more than just meatheads who pick shit up and put it down. Like, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I'm absolutely a meathead and I love picking up heavy shit. Um, So, there is definitely that aspect of my personality and my profession. but there's more to strength and conditioning than just the selection of exercises and the prescription of volume and intensity. There's nuances to it, you know. understanding why you should go with a particular set rep scheme, why you should prescribe a certain intensity, why you should even select a certain exercise, or why you wouldn't select a particular exercise. So there are these nuances to it that sport coaches don't understand because they're not strength and conditioning coaches, but yet they think they understand. So and I guess that kind of takes me to my next point. Um, and this is a similar one. A lot of, a lot of these are going to tie in. Okay, a lot of them are going to have a whole lot of similarity because you know at the end of the day, like it, it all is just sort of the same thing. Overshare. So not only do we have to be transparent, but I think it's really important that we overshare. Make them ask for less communication. Make them ask for less information. This is something I'm guilty of and this is something that I'm learning as I go is that you have to overshare. Say hey coach, this is what we're doing today. Hey, this is what we're doing this week. Hey, this is what we got going on in the weight room right now. You know, it's really easy for us just to say, you know, like hey, things are going great. You know, kids are getting stronger, we're staying injury free, you know, numbers are going up, and that's that. It's really easy just to give that kind of report. But I think that it's important that we overshare and say, hey, you know, so and so has been doing really well. Or again, you know, this is these are the movements that we got coming up this week. This is the phase of training that we're in right now, and this is why we're doing what we're doing. And then that leads me into the next point of explaining and communicating. And again, again, a lot of these are going to tie into tie into each other. Explain and communicate what you're doing and why you're doing it. Because again, it's really easy just to say, "Hey, you know, we're picking up. We're going to do a deadlift this week. Like our deadlift is our max effort movement this week. Why are we doing a deadlift? Okay, because we want to train the posterior chain this way. Okay, I wanted to take some load off the spine because we've been squatting for the last three weeks in a row, or you know, vice versa." We haven't squatted in a bit in a minute, so we're gonna squat today. You know, why are we putting why do you put chains on the bar? Why do you put bands on the bar? Well, coach, we put bands or chains on the bar because X, Y, and Z. You know, explain and communicate. Because I think at the end of the day, sport coaches like they don't they don't want to be critical. Like they don't and I mean that and I mean that from a negative perspective. Like they don't want to be critical of what we do. Like they want to understand why we do what we do. Because I think there's I think there's this like esoteric perspective. Or this esoteric idea of what strength and conditioning is. It's like this mystical world of numbers and words and exercises and lifts and stuff. You know, and like you have to be part of this brotherhood, part of this fraternity to to understand what it is, you know. And part of that is is part that's partly true. You know, like you have to be you have to be knowledgeable about what's going on to understand what's happening. You know, you can't just be some lay person and be like, Yeah, I totally get what's happening. Like you have to have some knowledge. You know, but sport coaches, they want to understand why we're doing the things that we're doing. They want to understand why we're having their athletes perform certain things because, you know, sport coaches want to know how those things are relating to the to their performance on the field, to the athlete's performance on the field. And that's a totally fair statement. That's a totally fair request. You know, like at the end of the day, you know, yes, the the responsibility... The privilege, I guess, of performing a strength and conditioning role falls upon the strength and conditioning coach. But at the end of the day, a team's success or failure falls upon the shoulders of especially the head sport coach. And so if there's a change that needs to be made, the sport coach needs to know about that and needs to be able to address that in a certain fashion. So they just want to know why things are happening. And it's really important, I think, for us as strength coaches to, which brings me to my next point, put our pride aside. Like we have, we have, and this is something that I'm guilty of. And a lot of this is like self-exploration as we're talking here. You know, like self-actualization and self-realization. That there's, there's a certain sense of pride that we all have in our work, right? No matter what your profession is, you should have some, some sort of pride in it. You know, even if you hate your job, you should still do it to the best of your ability. Um it's really easy for us as strength conditioning coaches to say like, well, you know, I'm responsible for the strength conditioning and you're responsible for the sport execution. So stay in your lane. Let me stay in mine and we'll just work together to, to create this product. But what happens when you, when you look at it from that perspective is that you stop working together and you start working. How do I, how do I say this? You start, you stop working congruently and you start working parallelly. Is that a word? Parallelly? I don't know. In a parallel fashion. Um, You know, so what I mean by that is that you, so if you think about it in terms of like circles, right? Or in terms of spheres, right? So you have, you have sport coaches on one hand, you have strength conditioning coaches on the other. And what it should look like is like two conjoined spheres. Or if you want to look at it from a a 2D perspective or a one-dimensional perspective, it should look like a Venn diagram, right? It should be sport coach, strength coach, and then the overlap. But I think what happens a lot of times is that... You get strength and conditioning coaches and you get sport coaches who exist in independent spheres or spheres independent of each other, working towards a similar goal, working towards a shared goal, but they just operate in parallel. They don't operate congruently or in conjunction with each other. So I'm going to take a quick drink break here. And I think that's because Because we as strength conditioning coaches have a certain sense of pride. Like we want to be able to operate independently of these sport coaches and say, I'm the expert in my field. They, meaning the sport coaches, are not obligated to come to me and share what they do. So why should I be obligated to go to them and share what I do? And again, I'm guilty of this. But I think it's really important that we put that pride aside and say, look, I'm not here. Like, yes, this is my job and this is my livelihood and this is my success. right? We are talking about my success as a professional. But at the end of the day, your job as a strength and conditioning coach is to serve. And it's to serve towards the betterment and the success of these athletes with whom you are working. And the, the person who has, you know, the ultimate control over that success is the sport coach. So why not put your pride aside and say, hey, coach, this is what we're doing. Hey, coach, this is what I got going on in the weight room. Hey, coach, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing what we're doing. And this is how it's going to apply to what you guys do on the field. Put your pride aside, you know, and you can even look at it from the perspective of being the bigger person. Like, all right, you know, the sport coach doesn't have to come to me and talk to me about what we're doing, or about what what they're doing, but I'm going to be the bigger person and I'm going to go to them and say, hey, coach, like, you know, this is what we're doing. And the more that you communicate, the more that you explain and express why you're doing what you're doing and what you're doing, I think the more buy-in you create, because a coach can see okay they're putting bands and chains on the bar they're doing this they're jumping they're going fast they're lifting heavy weights they're doing all these different kinds of stuff but you know maybe maybe the sports coach maybe the sport coach doesn't fully understand the nuances behind what you're doing because they're not strength and conditioning coaches but at least they understand what's happening and they can say okay I see success on the field so maybe there's maybe it's not causation but maybe there's correlation right maybe what we're doing in the weight room isn't directly translating to the field because you know if you're a strength conditioning coach you know that sports specific movements in the weight room aren't really a thing and that's not really what you should do but at least there's correlation right you know like okay hey my kids are getting stronger in the weight room so they're running faster if you're a baseball athlete you're hitting harder you know if you're a thrower you're throwing further whatever it is um you know At least they can understand that correlation between weight room performance and athletic performance. And, you know, and then what what you really want is you want sport coaches on your side, you know, because I think that as a strength conditioning coach, our jobs, our positions are fairly tenuous um, and you can easily be replaced. And so I think the more sport coaches you have on your side, you know, the more allies you have, the less likely you are to find yourself out of a job if things start getting tough. And again, like I said, a lot of this is tying into each other, tying into itself, and so I know I'm repeating myself, but I think it's important that we recognize our roles, our role as educators. So, you know, our job is to teach athletes how to do stuff. Our job is to teach athletes how to how to lift weights, how to progress physically, how to, how to do all this stuff, right? That's our job. You know, whether it's executing a certain lift, whether it's executing you know, a particular drill or whatever it is, that's our job, right? So we're educating these athletes on how to do something. But we're also educating coaches on why we're doing what we're doing, right? Sport coaches are sport coaches for a reason. Strength coaches are strength coaches for a reason. And like, yes, there is some crossover typically in football. Like you'll get position coaches who are strength coaches or strength coaches who are position coaches You know, and that typically falls like at the lower levels, you know, at the D3, the NAIA, sometimes at the D2. But you don't really see it at the D1 level where you get like, you know, sport coaches or position coaches who operate as strength coaches. Um, You know, so I think it's important that we as experts educate those who are not experts on why things are happening the way that they are happening. Again, if only from a selfish perspective of protecting ourselves like the more this the more that a sport coach knows about why we're doing what we're doing the less likely he or she is going to be to be critical of what we do in a negative fashion and like i am all for i'm a hundred percent in support of positive criticism right positive feedback critical feedback like tell me Tell me how I can make your athletes better. Tell me how your athletes are performing or not performing and let me know what I need to work on or what I need to do to help bring that up. How can I elevate your athletes to the next level? I have no problem with that. I don't even mind like negative criticism, right? Because criticism in any form, you know, just shows you that you're not doing your job to the best of your ability and there's room for improvement, you know, but but what I mean is that the more that we can educate a sport coach on why things are happening the way that they are, the less likely that sport coach is going to be to be just outright negative, outright negatively critical or critically negative, however you want to phrase it, of what's happening, because I think what happens a lot of times is that sport coaches come, like especially when you get a new a new coach, like let's say a coach starts a career or starts a position at a new university, and he or she has come from a certain type of program, has worked with strength coaches in the past, like they've done certain things with their athletes. And so so what happens is these sport coaches, as they move along, and the same thing happens with strength coaches and athletes as they transfer and as they move from school to school. But like these sport coaches come from, they come from a program, they come from a certain place and they were part of a certain system there. And so they bring aspects and components of that system. They bring facets of that system with them as they progress. And what happens is as they go, they start developing their philosophy, like picking up different pieces of, of systems and programs as they go. But what happens a lot of times, I think, is that, you know, like if you get if you get a sport coach who transfers in, who comes in and starts a new position at a new university, like a lot of times all they know is what they did at the last school. And if they had success, then they buy into that program. Right. If there was a sport coach or a sport program that saw success at a certain university and then a sport coach leaves and comes to a different university, he or she is probably going to want to do in the weight room what was done at that previous university because it created success or at least it was correlated with success. Now, again, it's causation versus correlation. You know, did what did what was happening in the weight room directly cause success? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but... What happens a lot of times, again, is that, is that these coaches get these ideas and then when the ideas that they have in their head are, um, are counterintuitive to what's happening in reality, right, when you start having this cognitive dissonance, excuse me, when you start getting this disagreement between, you know, what is expected and what is actually happening, you know, there's negative criticism that, arrives, that arises from that. And that's where you start getting issues. It's like, well, this is what I thought we were gonna do and this is what we've done before and this is what I'd really like to have happen, you know, but we're not doing that. It's like it's like I think the classic argument comes down to like doing cleans or not doing cleans, right? Cleans have this cleans have this place in strength and conditioning that I think is unfounded, right? But a lot of coaches believe in the value of cleans. And I'm not saying that cleans are a bad exercise or that athletes shouldn't do them. I think that they are I think they're a valuable exercise, I think, or a valuable movement. Um, I think that they can produce, that I think they're very beneficial for producing force at a high rate. You know, so your force production and your rate of force development is, are, rather, um, can be trained very well through, through the application and through the successful and effective execution of doing a clean but a clean can take a lot of time to teach and it can take a lot of time to learn. And it can be very difficult to do with the intent that is necessary to get success from it. Right? It's easy for anybody just to do a clean. Right? It may look like absolute dog shit, but somebody can do a clean. But are is that person getting what we want out of that movement? So again, what I'm coming what I'm coming back to is that there's this, this dissonance between well, I think cleans are a really valuable exercise as a sport coach, but then the strength coach doesn't believe them, And that's the system that we're in, right? We run a conjugate program. And not that you can't run conjugate with Olympic movements, and I've talked about that before, kind of. But what I'm getting at is that we don't perform cleans, right? But maybe I have a sport coach who wants us to perform cleans. And it's like, well, okay, we have to have, an, we have, to have a conversation then between the sport coach and the strength coach and establish some sort of middle ground. Okay, what do you want? Like, what what do you want out of the cleans? Like, and that's a question that we have to ask as a strength coach. We have to ask the sport coach and say, what do you want? Like, what are you trying to get out of, or what do you think you are getting out of the cleans? Okay, so you want triple extension. You want violent and aggressive rate of force development. You want high rate of force production, and you want extension, and you want you know you want power output. Okay, we can do all those things, right? So, you know, if, if we want to break it down. If you want force production, we're gonna look at the max effort method. If you want rate of force development, we're gonna look at the dynamic effort method and we're gonna look at jumping. Right? If you want extension, if you want that triple extension, which is, you know, such a religious buzzword in strength conditioning and sports performance, triple extension, triple extension, triple extension. You gotta have it. If you want that, we can jump, we can throw. So there's lots of different ways to execute something. And that's part of this conversation that I'm that I'm having with this particular sport coach in this moment. Or that's going to ha- that's going to happen, is that there's a multitude of ways to execute a certain a certain train modality, right? If you want triple extension, we can jump. If you want force production, we can squat. We can deadlift. If you want rate of force development, okay, we can do things fast, right? Because that's really all it is. You know, a clean is just a clean is just a particular embodiment of certain physical traits or certain physical expressions. Right, just wrapped up into one neat-looking package, you know. But that doesn't mean that that's the only way to get those things done. So I think it's again, I think it's important that we that we educate coaches on why things are happening and what is happening and the rationale behind those things. And I think it's really important that we that we as strength conditioning coaches expect to be challenged, right? I think we we get in this situation where we exist in our little box. You know we exist within the confines of our weight room and we're so used to having like the ultimate authority within the context of that weight room even though even though we ultimately have to report to somebody you know whether if you're so like in my situation I'm the assistant strength coach I have to report to my director and then I also have to report to the sports administrator who oversees our department and then I ultimately have to report to the head athletic director so there's people to whom I have to report and I still have to report to the sport coaches like I'm not I'm not uh, subservient to the sport coaches I'm not on their roster I'm not on their staff so my success my job security is not dependent upon you know their evaluation of my performance necessarily like they cannot fire me they can put some they could, you know whisper words into the ears of the sports administrators and say well we don't like what Jim is doing maybe we should go a different direction but what I'm getting at is that it's, I think it's important that we recognize that it's okay to be challenged because if because people are going to have different ideas and we have to expect to be challenged and that's just part of being human and part of being a professional is saying like here's the system that I believe in here's the foundational aspects here are the foundational tenets of my system and my methodology and my modalities and it's okay if you have different ideas and again like like i expressed earlier i think what needs to have what needs to happen is that we need to exist that we as strength coaches need to exist in conjunction with sport coaches we cannot exist Strength coaches are coaches ex- expect or are prepared to be thrown under the bus and say, well, you know, our strength conditioning program isn't what it should be. We're not where we are. The kids aren't strong enough. They're not fast enough. We're not doing the right stuff in the weight room. You know, but I also think we need to be as prepared as possible so that when we have to have these conversations with coaches, we can walk in and we can sit down and we can interact with them as professionals. Because, you know, I don't know who I don't know who talked about it. It might have been Matt Rhodes or it might have been Nate Harvey or, you know, there's, there's probably other strength coaches that have talked about it. But I think a lot of times – you know, strength coaches aren't taken seriously because of our profession, just the outright nature of our profession. Like we, you know, I, I wear PJs to work every day. You know, I wear, a short and te- I wear a shirt and shorts to work every day. You know, whereas like a sports administrator has to get dressed up, you know. Sport coaches sometimes, you know, depending on their role, you know, some of them are, you know, dressed down it's when we're dressed up. But I think a lot of times strength conditioning coaches aren't taken seriously because of the nature of our profession. And we need need to be prepared to, to combat with that, you know, and say like, look, like I'm a professional, you know, the way that I look, the way that I dress, the way that I act and interact with the student athletes is going to be a little bit different based on the nature of our profession. But that doesn't make me any less professional, you know, so the more that you can be prepared as a coach and the more that you can be prepared as a professional, I think the more likely you are to be taken seriously, you know, when it comes time to have these types of conversations. So, so yeah. Um, so again, be transparent, overshare, explain, communicate, and I think it's really. Good. I think again, it's really important that we put our pride aside. You know, take pride in your work, but be willing to be humble and be willing to be humbled. You know, like sport coaches aren't. Sport coaches aren't dumb. You know, they got to their they got to that position for a reason like there's a reason that they exist There's a reason that they have those jobs just like there's a reason that we have our jobs You know, we we earned those positions. We earned that title You know and just because they're not a strength and conditioning coach doesn't mean that they don't have valid ideas And again, it just comes down to being able to operate in conjunction and in coordination as opposed to operating in parallel with each other and again recognize your role as an educator Expect to be challenged and prepare to be challenged and in in all aspects, in all facets of you know, your professional existence and your professionalism, just be prepared. You know, be overly prepared for everything, you know? And that doesn't mean you have to be paranoid about stuff, but you know, you gotta be prepared. So so that's how to build trust, in my opinion, how to build and maintain trust with coaches. And then on the other hand, How do you do that with athletes, right? How do you build trust? How do you build a rapport? And how do you maintain that trust and that rapport with athletes? Well, a lot of it's the same, right? You know, I think that there's this, I think some athletes, not all, but I think some athletes have this idea that, like, we as strength coaches are just there to tell them what to do. Like, hey, go lift this. We're going to do X amount of sets for X amount of reps or X amount of reps for X amount of sets, however you want to put it. You know, you're going to lift this weight for this many times. You're going to do this exor- these exercises in this order, right? And there's like this, and this was something that I experienced with my last position is that like the, the strength coach whom I worked under wasn't very good at being transparent with the kids, and i think it's really important that we are transparent like we don't have to explain everything right you don't have to get down to the nitty gritty if you, i mean if you want to great and like i i like doing that i like sharing with the kids i like it when the kids are interested in what they're doing and the reasoning behind what they're doing you know like it shows that they're actually paying attention that they actually care you know the kids who are the kids who just take you at face value doesn't mean that they're not interested or that they don't care or that they haven't bought into the system but those kids Who can sit down or like who can stand to you and like look you in the look you in the eye and say hey Jim Why are we doing this? You know and not from like a negative perspective like a challenging perspective You know, but just from like a critical perspective, you know a critical critical thinking perspective, you know Like why are we why? Why do we do this? You know, why do we again? Why do we put bands and chains on the bar? Why do we rotate our bars? Like why do we Why do we squat on some weeks and why do we deadlift on other weeks? You know, why do we do this movement over this movement? Why don't we do these? You know, why don't we do cleans? You know, I've had a few athletes ask me, like, why don't we clean? You know, and so I think it's really important to be transparent with the kids and be able to tell them, like, not not just say because I don't like them, you know, but be able to say, well, we don't clean because, you know, based on the nature of your sport, we want to protect your wrists and your elbows and your shoulders. And we believe that there are more efficient and safer, and more effective ways of, you know, executing, developing, establishing the same physical traits and characteristics and You know, expressions of physical performance that you get through a clean, just in safer ways, right? So we don't clean because I don't believe in the in their value. I think there are safer ways to do it. You know, and it's it's as easy as that. It doesn't have to be some long, convoluted, drawn out ten dollar word, you know, explanation. You know, because like if you start throwing out big words at people, like they're going to get lost unless they understand those words. You know, but if you can just give like a very clear and concise, precise reasoning behind why you're doing what you're doing, your kids are going to buy into your system more, you know, because like, because the way that I look at it is that like, yes, this is my job, right? This is my, my career. It's the way that I put food on my table and pay my rent. But it's also like, I am responsible for the physical performance, the physical development of human bodies, right? And these people, these bodies, they're not just bodies, like they're people, Like they're, they're humans who have thoughts and feelings and emotions and concerns and have their own ideas and their own desires and their own dreams and all this kind of stuff. And like, you know, like with, with my baseball guys, like, you know, they're there, they are there, they are here to play baseball, but they're, they're here to pursue, you know, their career as athletes. And I want them to be as invested in their success as possible. And so if that means that I just need to be able to explain why we're doing certain things, you know, again, why we put bands or why we put chains on the bar, why we don't do cleans or why we throw a med ball a certain way, like, you know, I I want an athlete to be able to understand all aspects of his or her physical performance and physical development. You know, because, again, that shows that they care. And that's professionalism. You know, like you get up to the big leagues, right? So I worked for the Pittsburgh Pirates for just a brief minute, you know, and I've talked about that before, so I won't go into that. But, like, you could tell, you know, you could tell that these guys were professionals because they cared, because they were invested, and they asked questions. Why are we doing this? Why do you have us run this? Why are we doing this in the athletic training room? Why are we doing this in sports medicine? And it's not because they're being judgmental. Of what's happening or they're being negative of what's happening, but they're being critical because it's their career and it's their success. So just as I'm protective of my career and my success, they're protective of theirs, right? I put food on my table by training you. You put food on your table by going out and performing on the field, right? And so I think it's really important that we as strength coaches are brutally transparent with the kids. You know, like I have no secrets. There may be things that I hold back because I don't feel that it's. How do I say this? Like, not that it's not necessary to explain, but that maybe it's just in in that particular moment, right? Within the context of that particular point in time, within within the context of that immediate conversation, it's not it's not necessary to explain. I have no problem if a kid wants to come into my office or like wants to have a phone call or whatever, and like wants to sit down and talk about why we do the things we do. I'm more than happy to. Like, I love I love strength and conditioning. I love talking about it. Like, fuck, I have a podcast about it, right? You know, so I love talking about it and I love sharing that with with my athletes. Like the more that they can get invested and the more that they can, the more that they can understand why things are happening the way that they are happening, the more likely they are to be invested in the program and the more invested they are in the program that typically yields or leads to a greater degree of success, right? If you believe in something, if you're willing to put your name behind it, you're, if you're willing to buy into it, you're going to see more success with it. And again, so that that leads me into my next point again about explaining and communicating. You know, so like the way that we work in our weight room is that like the kids come in, we warm up, we bring it in, we talk, right? So I explain what's going on for the day. And sometimes the explanation is very quick. Hey, we got this, 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 and this today. We're gonna hit it, we're gonna get after it, and we're gonna get out, right? But we do that only because the kids know what's going on, right? If there's a situation in which we have to explain something new, we take that time and we slow it down, we break it down, and we establish understanding about what's going on. Right. So I explain and I communicate and I say, hey, we're doing this because of this. Right. And if we're in a certain, if we're at a certain juncture, like in our, if we're at a certain point in our season. Right. So like with my swimmers. So swimmers last year, this, this last year, um, how did, how did this work? Like they didn't train for, they weren't in because of COVID protocols. They weren't in for a while. And so they started coming in and we did like some circuit style training. And so I explained that to him. I said, "Hey, you haven't been in the weight room for a number of weeks, so we're not going to re- we're not going to expose you to max effort work right away because I just don't feel that's where we need to be. Like we need to build up our work capacity, and not that I'm scared of exposing kids to max effort work early, but I think it's important to have a good GPP base, you know, a good general physical preparedness base, a good work capacity foundation." underneath you before you start exposing yourself to max effort because you have to be able to recover from max effort and your recovery is based on your aerobic capacity which is based on your work capacity blah 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 right it all ties into it it all ties into itself but so anyway so they came in and we did some circuit work for a couple weeks and i said okay and so like after a few weeks of doing circuit work we made this like bridge transition i said okay we're going to bridge this gap between our circuit work and between our max effort work We're going to do this, 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 and this, and this is why we're doing it. And then next week, we're going to get into our max effort work. We're going to start lifting heavy again. We're going to start squatting. We're going to start deadlifting and get you back into your strength work. And so they knew what was going on. Maybe they didn't understand the full, and I I like this word, nuance. I, I really like that word. So maybe they didn't understand all the nuances of why things were happening the way that they were happening or my rationale behind it. But at least they understood what was happening, right? And again... And that creates buy-in, that creates investment, and that creates an additional level of focus and adherence to the program. Because if you have kids who don't understand what's going on or don't care enough to understand what's going on, they're going to go through the motions. right? They're going to perform the exercises that you've prescribed. They're going to perform them at the prescribed volume and intensities because they have to. right? Because they're mandated to be there by their sport coach. Like They're told that they have to come lift weights as part of their experience, quote-unquote, as a student-athlete. But if you can get athletes to understand why they're doing what they're doing and at least like superficially, right, at least a topical understanding of, OK, this is why we do max effort. OK, so this is why we lift heavy. Oh, to get stronger. OK, this is why we lift light. This is why we put bands and chains on the bar. Oh, to move that weight faster to create our to improve our rate of force development. Right. We create force output. We, we create. Um, oh, uh, I can't. even. I, my brain just went blank. Uh, force production. We create force production through the max effort. We create a, we create rate of force development or we improve rate of force development through the dynamic effort method. And they don't have to understand, like, what max effort is and what dynamic effort is. Like, they don't have to get that. All they have to understand is we lift heavy to get strong. We lift light and move quickly to to get fast. Boom. Right? I just explained I communicated. And I created buy-in. So... And, they, and then also, just like with coaches, I think it's just as vitally important with athletes to understand that we serve as educators, right? We're teaching a skill, right? Just like, just like sports performance is a skill. So just like swimming or baseball or basketball or whatever sport you're playing, just like that's a skill, lifting is a skill. And the more proficient you can be at your skill, the more proficient you can be at lifting, the more effective and efficient you're going to be at that skill, right? Proficiency yields efficiency, So, you know, if I'm teaching these kids how to do something, you know, if I can teach them how to lift more proficiently, they'll lift more efficiently and they'll lift more effectively and they'll get stronger faster and we'll see more results at a greater rate. Um, Prepare to be challenged, right? Kids have their own ideas, especially when you start getting up, I think, to like the upper levels, like the D1, semi-pro, and then definitely into the pro levels. Like athletes are going to have their own ideas about how things should be done. And... I think athletes are also going to challenge you on some things just because they don't want to do it, right? Shit's hard. And being a student athlete is not an easy experience. Like, it, it can be fun. It can be very rewarding, but it is not easy, right? This shit is hard. Like, I was I was a student athlete, but I was a club athlete, right? I didn't have to go through, like, the study hall and the meetings and all the NCAA bullshit. Like, I just showed up. I played lacrosse. I got fucking drunk, and I had a great fucking time, right? That was my life when I was in college, Um, you know, so I have to deal with all like the, the official, you know, NCAA type stuff. Um, but kids are going to challenge you because they don't want to be there. And so that's where you have to, like, you have to pick your battle as a strength coach and say, okay, I'm either going to fight this kid, you know, I'm going to fight with this kid and I'm going to have this argument or I'm going to sit down and I'm going to explain why we need to do what we need to do, or I'm just going to ignore you right so that's your decision as a strength coach that you have to make based on the situation that you're in but you have to be you have to prepare to be challenged and it's okay to be challenged like if you're challenged it puts you in a position where you can reaffirm your beliefs and you can re reestablish the values that you hold true right but it can also put you in a position where you have to think critically about those values and maybe change them so it can be you know being challenged can be very frustrating And it can be very, it can be infuriating. My God, I don't know how many times like I've had situations where in my head, I'm boiling, right? I'm so mad. I'm so angry about what's happening. You know, but externally, you can't show that. Like you, if you just blow up at a kid, that's not going to get you anywhere. You know, so you got to be able to maintain that composure and say, okay, why am I so angry? You know, like you have to be able to slow yourself down and think critically about what's happening. You know, think critically about why... Why is this why is a student athlete challenging me? Is it because he or she doesn't want to do the work? Is it because he or she doesn't believe in it, or is it because he or she has something else in mind? you know and then so that becomes then a conversation between hopefully adults, right and that's and that's part of the process is that like we're part of the situation is that a lot of student athletes are still growing and they're still maturing and even though they're of adult age, a lot of them are not, in my opinion adults. like I call them kids for a reason. It's not just you know, Um, It's not just some nomenclature that I throw out. You know, it's not just a colloquial term that I use affectionately. Like a lot of them are still kids. Some of them are more adults, but a lot of them are still kids, you know. And so you have to expect that as the adult, you are going to be challenged by a kid, you know, who might not know any better, you know. So you just have to be prepared for that. And then, again, be prepared in all aspects of your profession. Make sure that, you know, like if you build to try to build trust with an athlete, make sure you have your shit together. Right, kids can sniff out bullshit a mile away. Right, they know when you're bullshitting them. They know when you're feeding them a line of shit. So be prepared. If you use sheets, if you use printouts, make sure your shit's ready. If you have, if you make a mistake and you make a typo, own it. Be like, yo, all right, it says this on the sheet. I meant this instead. We're just gonna fucking roll with it, right? Do this instead. You know, don't make a big deal about it. Don't try to hide it. Don't don't try to bullshit your way out of it. Just say, I fucked up. I made a small mistake and like you know, I made a typo. We're gonna change. We're gonna do this instead. You know, have your sheets ready. Know what you're talking about. You know, don't get caught. Don't get caught back on your heels. Be prepared so that you can be as professional, professional as possible. And you can put forth your best foot and your best product. So that they can buy into your system more uh, acutely, I guess is the word I'm looking for. And then finally, we're going to start wrapping this up. But I think it's really important that as a strength coach, you walk your talk. Right? So, So what I mean by that is like you know it's really easy to sit here as a strength conditioning coach and say you need to do this 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 and this as an athlete right like you need to get your nutrition dialed in you need to get your sleep dialed in you need to train x amount of times a week like you need to be you know dedicating so many hours of your day or of your week to your to your craft right and all those things hold true like all those things are absolutely valid you know and i'm not saying that as a strength coach you have to be the strongest person in the room right you don't have to be that guy because there's going to be a situation where you're not Right? Depends on your depends on the sport you're working with. depends depends on where you are. You know, depends on the, the population you have. Like you might not be the strongest person in the room, and that's okay. You don't have to be the strongest or the fastest or the biggest or the most athletic person in the room. I know that I am by far when any of my athletes, when any of my athletes walk into that weight room, I am one hundred percent the least athletic person in the room. And I don't give a fuck. Like I don't care about my athletic performance, but what I do care about is that I am living by the the tenets and the principles that I try to promote to my kids to the best of my ability, right? Now, I'll be I'll be the first to admit that my nutrition is trash. Like, I eat like a garbage can. I love Nutella, and I will wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I will shovel six spoonfuls of Nutella into my mouth and go back to bed. And I'm not ashamed to say that. Um, you know, but I also... I also am aware of that and I accept the consequences and the ramifications of those decisions. You know, but but what I am good at, while well, I'm trash at my nutrition, what I am good at is my training, right? And I could always be better because everything can always be improved and can always be better, right? But you know, I train the way that I train my kids. I use the conjugate system in my in my own training. I have seen its success. I know its efficacy, I know its its effectiveness, right? And so it'd be one thing if I if I use the conjugate method with my kids, but I didn't believe in it for my own programming, then why am I doing it? If I if I don't use it in my own training, or if I'm not willing to explore it in my own training, then why even use it in the first place? Right? So if you're gonna if you're gonna ask something of a kid, if you're gonna ask something of an athlete, be willing to do it yourself. And it may put you outside of your comfort zone. It may be hard, it may be challenging, but I think it's really important that we do that because that builds trust. A kid so like I have an Instagram at Jimberjacked, in case anybody's curious, right, and I post all my lifting videos, whether it's a failure, or whether it's a success, whether it's a big lift, I mean, I don't have any small lifts at this point, but I'm, you know, but what I'm getting at is that, like, I put myself out there so that my athletes can see what I do, and they can see the fact that I live the life that I'm trying to get them to live, I train myself, I use the same methods, the same methodology, the same principles. In my training as I do with their training. And I am asking of myself the same things that I am asking of them. I am asking for effort and intensity and dedication of them. And I ask that of myself. Now do I always succeed in that? Do I always meet those expectations? Absolutely not. And I am aware of that. And again I am willing to accept the ramifications, the consequences, and the, the fallout from that failure to meet consistently those demands. Right? I have accepted that and I am okay with that. I'm okay with the fact that I've accepted that, if that makes sense. Like I'm getting meta here. But but again, it's really important that you you walk that talk, right? If you're gonna ask a kid to get underneath a heavy barbell, now heavy is a relative term. If you get if you ask a kid to step underneath a barbell with a weight on it that scares them, you better be willing to do that for yourself. Right? If you're asking a kid to put forth time and effort and consistency and dedication into their training, you better be willing to put that much, if not more, definitely more. You you better be willing to put more effort into what you give them. Right? Maybe not yourself, right? Because, you know, we all have shit in our lives. We're all going to make excuses. We're all going to find reasons not to train as hard as we could. You know, to we're not we're all going to find reasons to not do everything to the best of our ability. But if But what's really important here, and, and I, then we'll we'll wrap up with this. What's really important is that. If you're asking somebody to give something to you at a certain level, you had damn better be willing to give that back to them in the same capacity. So if I'm asking a kid to give me something, I need to give that back to them. And if that means that I'm prepared, if I'm ready to coach them, if I'm ready to help them, whatever it is, you know, whatever that situation is, I need to be willing to walk that talk. So, so, yeah. And, you know, I'm sure there are a thousand more things we can sit here and talk about, but we're getting close to an hour. And I don't feel like I've rambled too much, but I'm starting to. So we're going to start wrapping it up. So anyway, in my opinion, that's how you build trust with athletes and with coaches. Be transparent, overshare, explain and communicate. Put your pride aside. Be willing to be humbled. Recognize your role as an educator. Expect to be challenged. Be prepared and walk your talk. So that's it for today. As always, thank you so much for for, uh, for checking in, for tuning in, for listening. I appreciate it 100%. And as always, do not waste the pain.